0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. The legal world is a busy one these days, especially in Missouri and Washington. The ongoing case, now cases, facing Governor Greitens is approaching something like an attorney's full employment program, even more so in Washington, where the president's legal bills are also growing. That's just part of what we'll be discussing today with our legal roundtable panel of attorneys. Bill Freyvogel teaches journalism at SIU in Carbondale. Mark Smith is associate vice chancellor and dean for career services at Washington University. And we welcome back Brenda Talent. She is the chief executive officer of the Show Me Institute. Brenda, nice to have you back. with
1: Nice us. to be back.
0: It has been too long. Nice to see you guys, too, by the way. Yeah, right. Well, we have some news that's breaking even as we speak, so let me read uh, what I'm getting from our news department. Attorneys for Governor Greitens want to throw out testimony from two key witnesses in his invasion of privacy case Brighton's attorneys want to strike testimony from people that William Tisby interviewed. He's the uh, special investigator that Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner has uh, put on the payroll a few weeks ago. Uh, he has interviewed some folks, and they want that testimony excluded. We don't know specifically who the two people are that he wants excluded. I'm assuming one of them is the is the, uh, the woman, the, the hairdresser, the, the hairdresser, yes. the woman in, in this case. Um, if, and we
2: think the other one is her friend, who mm, she talked to.
0: Well, I think the key one would certainly be the uh, be the woman. Right. What happens if, if in fact, uh, anything she said to Tisby is excluded? Do we have any sense of?
2: I mean, we were talking about this before. I, I think that's a pretty extreme remedy. Um, I mean, the suggestion is that somehow her, her testimony was. Coached by this Tissey guy, I guess that would be the argument from the Greitens team. But it, it seems to me that you know the judge giving is giving another opportunity to depose her to find out. Um, you you want to have a remedy that uh, allows things to go forward. Now, obviously, Greitens team is going to ask for the most extreme rev- remedy: dismiss the whole case. If they don't mm-hmm. get that; dismiss all her testimony. But I, I, it seems like Bur- Burleson's okay. not going in that direction. Mm-hmm.
3: Any other thoughts well, on that? So, no? so he's, gonna, he's going to rule, I believe, by next Monday about this. And you know, no hairdresser uh, testimony, no case. So right. you know, if there would be such a ruling, then there would clearly be an appeal uh, before you know uh, by the by the circuit attorney of that of that issue. And this would just extend things out then, and then the whole trial would have to be. Delayed if there was going to be a trial, okay. um, you know. I think most likely, I agree with Mark that it's most likely that Burleson will not uh, exclude her testimony. Uh, instead, will say that the FBI uh, agent whose actions are questioned, uh, you know, can be called before uh, called as a witness by the defense uh, if he t- continues to take the Fifth Amendment as he did. Uh, did recently, then uh, the defense lawyers can do everything they want to challenge, uh, you know, the veracity uh, of uh, of the testimony and and imply that uh, the hairdresser's testimony was affected by this uh, this FBI investigator, former FBI investigator, who's uh, taking the Fifth Amendment.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. In his deposition last week, he refused to uh, to answer answer any questions.
3: They can discredit the hairdresser's testimony or attempt to that way, but I think it's unlikely that she would be entirely uh, barred from testifying.
1: Although the uh, investigators' lawyers are now saying that he took the fifth because he had not had an opportunity to review the transcript of his deposition. And wanted to do so. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this week. You would expect that the defense team was going to want to try again to take his deposition after he's had a chance to read uh, his former deposition and then see what he does in connection with the questions that they raised at that point. So there's
3: another deposition of the hairdresser. Uh, Also this afternoon, Al Watkins, the the lawyer for the husband of the hairdresser, the former husband of the hairdresser, Uh, will be asked where he got the uh, $100,000 that was delivered to his his law office. Is he required to answer that? I think he will be required to answer that. He claims attorney-client privilege. I don't think there's any attorney-client privilege here. I think he'll be required to answer it, and if he won't answer it, he would be in contempt of court and could be put in jail for it. Plus, I think think it's very relevant to the defense as to whether or not – you know, who, who the money came from, because I I think that, you know, that very much can be used to question the bias or the, you know, the veracity of both the hairdresser and the hairdresser's husband if they uh, testify.
1: And we also have the court ruling this morning that she has to turn over her phone, she has denying the, the appeal by the hairdresser to turn over her phone. To uh, to be reviewed, right? The Missouri
3: Supreme Court denied uh, denied that uh, that appeal, but and then the phone goes to a, a special master who will determine what uh, uh, what conversations from uh, or messages on that phone
0: are should be turned over to the defense. Is, is there a privacy issue here with regard to that phone? I mean, there's a lot of stuff on most people's phones that yeah. is nobody else's business. Well, I think
2: there is a privacy yeah. issue, but but it have gone through the courts and they've said no. I mean that's the thing. When you get involved in a lawsuit or, or a criminal case, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff that was private becomes not necessarily public but exposed to the other lawyers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that happens all the time. You know, backing up, I think it's worth talking about the attorney-client privilege a little bit because I think a lot of times when I talk to people, they are like, they don't get why we have that or how it works. And there's been this stuff with um, – yeah, Cohen and uh, Sean Hannity about the idea of I, maybe I slipped a ten dollar bill or all the people who watch Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. He would always say, "You put a dollar in my pocket, make it legal." And and the thing is, first of all, we have attorney-client privilege because we want the legal system to work and we want clients to be able to talk to their um, attorneys frankly. And so, so you know. The, the truth is kept away from the courts a little bit because the attorney may know something, but they don't have to pass it on. But having said that, not everything is attorney-client privilege. Uh, uh, first of all, you don't have to pay. Like, So if you come to me as an attorney, you know I'm an attorney, and you, there's an expectation of privacy, and you're asking me for legal advice, not like, where's the best restaurant in town, or or should I put my investment in this or this? That's That's business advice. That's not... Protected, although things will get kind of commingled um, and then also uh, then it becomes attorney client privilege but one of the big exceptions is something called the criminal fraud you know if we're you you and i can 't go forward on a even though i 'm your attorney to do something criminally now that 's not the case here that 's more um perhaps could be with Cohn if he was doing some payments that were illegal uh, might be exempt from it but um, I think here the biggest issue, this money is coming not from his client but from somebody else. Now he might say that 's a client, but first of all i 'm not sure that 's a communication and and i don 't think it would be protected
3: I mean, I mean one thing that al Watkins, if 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 as expected, the judge uh, says there 's no uh, attorney client privilege here, and he 's got to name the source of the funds. Our delivery, the, uh, very possibly um, um, Watkins would appeal that. And, then, yeah. and so that's that raises the potential for some delays down the road road as well. But I, I doubt if he'd have a very strong case on appeal.
2: Yeah. Another interesting question is these are cash payments. I'm pretty sure you have to – if you get over $10,000 from a customer, you have to report that to the IRS. I think it's called 8,300. Farm or something like that, but uh, so and you have to do it within like fifteen days. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, that would be one of the questions. I'm sure the lawyers are going to ask. Did you report to this, the IRS to try and get some leverage over Watkins? Just I mean,
3: I mean, the reason that that mm-hmm. the money uh, matters and the source of the money matters is that uh, you know potentially you can you can make an argument that the husband, the former husband, uh, or the hairdresser herself uh, are to a certain extent. Benefiting financially from their testimony, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when the uh, former husband, I think, said something about a, a trust fund for their ch- for their children. Uh, so, you know, you need to to the defense has a right to know that as part of their uh, you know
0: any kind of cross examination during a trial. Yeah. I want to go back to the phone for a minute. Uh, one of the things that occurs to me is this: is this a fishing expedition or is this they have something specific probable cause for something specific and they just say I want I want to see the phone without having any uh anything in particular well they, they probably are fishing but they you know clearly that phone
3: w- w- on which there were uh, um, you know messages that uh, were quite likely uh, exchanged that relate to the the details of the of the crime charged, I mean that would seem to be pretty
0: pretty relevant. If she's texting, for instance, uh, yeah. the governor over a period mm-hmm. of time, right. showing some sort of consensual relationship, I guess that's what we're we're looking, looking for.
1: Ford texting with her husband, yeah, yeah, in connection so, with yeah. this particular case. So we
2: were talking beforehand. You know, we need a criminal defense lawyer here, and, and we haven't done that. But uh, on the civil side, mm-hmm. the scope of discovery is very broad. Anything reasonably. Calculated to lead to the discovery of admissible evidence that 's a very broad standard and so you know in a deposition, the only time you would really object is you 're asking for attorney client privilege information or if they started asking about somebody's sex life or something like that, mm-hmm. but in this kind of case, it might be relevant you know so so it 's a very broad standard, and that 's I think what uh, people need to remember when. You know, when you have a lawsuit where you're going to sue and sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to get they see these big payouts and they think, boy, I've won a a lottery ticket and it's going to pay off. But the the cost, you know, you and this is like a just a civil case, they're going to go through all your tax records, they're going to ask for all this other stuff. Who'd you talk to? And then they're going to talk to them. It's a it's a emotionally draining experience. Well,
1: in, in this particular instance, it's not as if the phone is just being handed over to the defense yeah. team. Mm-hmm. It's going to an intermediary who will review, one would presume, the contents and determine what really should be disclosed to mm-hmm. the defense team or not.
2: And even if they disclose it, they may not be able to disclose it. There might be some kind of restriction you know, that you can't... They are already under a, um, a gag mm-hmm. order, so I would think with something like this that... Uh, her attorneys would say, we we want some kind of um, order that says this is not going to be publicly ava- available. I mean
3: you can certainly see from the hairdresser's point of view, she probably is feeling pretty victimized at yeah. this point uh, in that she
2: was a reluctant
3: right. uh, participant in mm-hmm. this at the beginning, uh, You know, was only drawn into this by the <clears throat> former husband releasing the – the, the tape he had taken of her, uh, uh, you know, to to the media, so she was a reluctant witness. She probably is beginning to wonder, uh, you know, are there things on that telephone that could cause her to be have some sort of you know criminal consequences? So you know, Fifth Amendment at some point maybe become relevant to her as well. So
1: well, it's not uncommon in cases where there's some of the allegations that we've seen in this for the victim to actually be treated as if they're the ones who are on right. trial mm-hmm. so particularly
0: in cases like uh, like this and
2: that's that's the, the, yeah that's why then these people don't bring the charges and it's it, why the system doesn't work and these in these in the people who do these things oftentimes get away with it because The remedy is just so horrible. Sure. Well, it's a tangled web, no question
0: about it. There's more to discuss, but I have to take a break. So let's do that now. We'll come back and continue the conversation with our Legal Roundtable panelists in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back as we continue our legal roundtable panel discussion with Bill Freivogel, Mark Smith, and Brenda Talent. We've been talking about the most salacious of uh, the two cases facing Governor Gritens. There is another one, and that is the question of his illegally obtaining a donor list from his charity that he founded, Mission Continues. Which is the more serious of these two cases? One is getting the attention, and we know why. The other one, not so much, but it's serious, Brenda.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I actually think that the Mission Continues uh, case is one that if, if I were on the defense team, I'd be more concerned about mm-hmm. because we know with the other, there's still the question of where's the photo, right? Um, but on the mission continue. Th- th- this allegation is fairly serious. And we know from the charity's standpoint, they absolutely would want to defend their position that that list was inappropriately obtained. Mm-hmm. And I think there are two charges, right? That um, he, he there was computer tampering or disclosure of a list mm-hmm. that Right. was confidential. So um, that one's very, very troubling because not only is there the whole issue of wh- who took the list, what was done with the list in connection with the gubernatorial campaign, but also what were the filings with the Missouri Ethics Commission because there was a resolution – I mean, this charge has come up. Last year, with, in connection with mm-hmm. the gubernatorial election, and that there were some settlements made and affidavits filed regarding how the list was used. And there's a question of were were any of the statements made in those documents false, or were they correct?
0: Are these both Class D felonies? It seems to me I read that, but I, I could be mistaken. That this second charge is also Class D. Well, I, I think the
3: the charge that was being considered about the, uh, you know, that was referred to the Cole County prosecutor. I believe that that was actually a, a misdemeanor charge.
2: Uh, I thought so, because it was over a certain amount that it might have risen to a felony, but yeah, I'm not I'm positive not sure. about the. And I agree with Brenda. I think the real risk is all these things they signed under oath, and then that could come back and bite mm-hmm. them if it's. I mean, so you know, and we've said this before. It's not necessarily the crime, but it's the cover-up that will and, often get you.
1: And I, would, I don't want to diminish the 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 seriousness of the charges in the other case. Oh, I just no, think no, from no. looking at how the mm-hmm. prosecution can proceed, which one might be the riskier mm-hmm. one for for conviction.
0: Yeah, well, and they're obviously separate separate issues, separate trials. If it comes to that, right? And, and I mean, if, if you clear away. Sort of
3: all the legal technicalities. I mean, Greitens is in really serious difficulty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's he basically has not denied. I mean, he's admitted he is he has admitted the affair. Uh, he has not uh, he has not denied uh, the uh, he has not denied taking taking the photo, uh, and his pre-election uh, claims that he hadn't used his charities lists is now clearly not true He's admi- he admitted in the ethics uh post election ethics proceed, uh, proceedings that that they had been used and you know now the orig- the explanations in that ethics proceedings seem to be uh very much in question and so and, and beyond, beyond that there's just the politics that he doesn't have the kind of support from house uh for from house republicans that one might normally expect for a republican Uh, a Republican governor. Uh, I think many of them have signed on to this special session to follow the regular session at which it would seem as though possibilities. I think they said said
2: half of the Republicans in the House had already signed on. So you you figure all the the Democrats. The House
0: committee investigating him has expanded its investigation into this second charge as well. We have an email here from a listener. Madonna in Crestwood writes, Does the governor have to be found guilty of a crime before he qualifies for being impeached? If not, what qualifies as an impeachable uh, reason? I left those
2: papers in my office because I, I, I had it. We've talked about it before. I think um, it wasn't you just – there were things like public, uh, like drunkenness and other uh, – in, inability to perform the duties of your office. But crimes were also in there. And then there's a question about whether the crimes have to occur while you're uh, in, a, office. A, in office or not. Yeah. And so there's an argument that these occurred before. I think there was an op-ed about that. But I think – I think it 's not it 's not as flexible as the u s Congress when it comes to impeachment, but I think it 's still pretty flexible, so I think they' would be able to impeach him with this that 's my take on it, and that was my recollection from when I looked at it last month so So
3: the Missouri Constitution uh, says that a person can 't be impeached for crimes, misconduct, habitual drunkenness willful neglect of duty, corruption in office, incompetency, or any offense involving moral turpitude or oppression in office. So, I mean, Mark is correct that there is this sort of disagreement over um, amongst legal experts on whether or not uh, actions taken before you're elected – can serve as the basis for impeachment. Mike Wolf, the former Supreme Court uh, Justice, Chief Justice, and Dean at St. Louis Law School, had written an op ed in, in the Post Dispatch uh, saying that quite possibly you couldn't be impeached for actions taken before you were elected. And then Frank Bowman at the um, University of Missouri uh, said, disagreed, and said you know, definitely that that crimes uh, that were referred to could be things that occurred uh, before uh, you were elected. Yeah.
1: Well, certainly if you're convicted of a crime, you you you, the, you couldn't be able to serve. So, you know, and in that instance, I think you would say even currently if he were convicted of one of these crimes, you would argue that that would fall within the scope of that language.
3: Maybe. <laughs>
0: We also have received a tweet from Lisa who writes, "Do we know whether the governor has had to turn over his phone?" Never. Haven't heard anything along these lines. Yeah, that's a. I don't know. It's interesting. I haven't heard it, but you wonder I don't know, if, they so wouldn't So would he have, have, have some
2: at? kind of so privilege against self-incrimination? Maybe that's why he doesn't have to. Because if if I, I mean, first of all, I can't be compelled to testify, and so if i had written down something in my in a journal or a phone that 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 it, that's probably what it is he's got a fifth amendment right and he's probably shielding. He's also got
0: an app that can take (laughs) (laughs) everything on his phone. That would uh, (laughs) probably make that a wasted effort. One other thing that, uh, Mark, you mentioned the gag order a little while ago, and I think for members of our audience who don't quite understand what that is. What exactly is a gag order? And it uh, involves the attorneys who are involved in this case. And what happens if somebody does talk and violates it? What's the punishment? Contempt? Well, yeah, he could he could
3: hold them in contempt. Yeah, he has cited he has issued a gag judge Burleson has issued a yeah. gag order um he basing it on uh past Supreme Court decisions where there was uh cases involving a lot of pretrial publicity um and uh saying that it's that that uh, judges have got the the right to have these kinds of gag orders in order to protect the defendant's fair trial. Um, the, the cases that are cited are ones that uh, precede some big Supreme Court decisions like Richmond uh, newspapers. Uh, they, give, uh, the, they have a First Amendment right of the, uh, to access to trials. And so I thought it was a little bit strange in Judge Burleson's orders that he didn't deal with that issue. I think uh, I think in general – uh, he should be able to gag the prosecutors, but he shouldn't be able to gag the defense lawyers mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the, the defense has a right – the defendant has a right to a fair trial. The prosecution doesn't have a right to a fair trial. So what, what
2: he's banned is the, both the parties and witnesses from um, talking about their expected testimony, specific evidence, uh, any personal belief in the defendant's guilt or innocence, and then um, the second part – the disseminating deposition testimony. Uh, I think the – is it the House committee is asking for the deposition? And I think the prosecutor and the um, the the woman's lawyer have agreed. But Greitens' team is kind of slow because you have to get the judge's approval uh, before yeah. that can be disposed. So I, I assume that's why. I was wondering – When I first read it, well, you can get a deposition. Why why wouldn't they just get it from one of the parties? But uh, that's why, I think.
0: Hmm. It it seems to me, this is just a personal observation, that of the many rulings that Judge Burleson has made uh, during these uh, past weeks, most of them have been in favor of the prosecution. Does that seem right to you? And if, if I'm right on that, does that presage anything? I'm not oh. sure that that's yeah, actually right. I mean
3: he doesn't want to go so far as to as to uh, agree with defense motions that are basically going to throw the case out before there's even a trial. I mean that's what the defense has been filing a lot of motions to do. And, and I think Judge Burleson has been properly not willing to go that far. But he sanctioned the prosecutors right. for uh, failing to turn over – um, you know, turn over evidence of the former FBI investigator taking notes uh, during his interview with the hairdresser. And and so I, I don't think he is going so easy Watkins, on the allowed Watkins
2: being deposed. They've allowed the um, the phone – he, uh, to be um, and you know these to get a second crack at a deposition, you know, usually with depositions, it's one and done, you don't go back. That's your thing. So, so there's going to be another deposition
3: at yeah, the hairdresser a so couple of hours of additional testimony. Mm-hmm. The, the prosecutors wanted that deposition to be li- to be limited in Burles and Burleson said no. So I you no, know, I don't think he's I don't think he's leaned one way or another. I think he's actually sort of agreed with the defense to the extent that he can still but not so far oh. as to throw the case out of court. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Although, <laughs> although, and we discussed this before yeah. we came on air, and I, I've heard you've discussed it on the radio before, I found it very curious that he didn't grant the request for a jury, a uh, judge mm-hmm. trial, yeah. rather than, than, than give, agreeing with the, the prosecutor and allowing a jury trial, particularly when you have this kind of gag order in place because you are worried about tainting mm-hmm. the jury pool with all the publicity that's going on mm-hmm. surrounding the case. But, uh, that's but, interesting. And the other issue is uh, I'll be interested in seeing what, if anything, happens regarding some of the conduct of the Circuit Attorney's Office, because there have been some things done that are that are highly questionable which should subject her to to some greater scrutiny and review. I bet
2: she's gonna her office will end up paying for the deposition costs and and there there'll be other fees and there may be I, I couldn't find out what the sanctions were that the judge was imposing if if those were to be determined later Because it seems like every couple of days something new comes up.
3: But but again, I would defend Judge Burleson on the issue of uh, of having a jury trial instead of a bench trial as was requested by by Greitens because uh, Greitens didn't have a a right under Missouri law to uh, a bench trial. And I think that it makes sense that you want to have – that there's going to be more confidence in a jury verdict than in a judge verdict, I think the fact that it was a uh, uh, that it was a judge 's verdict in the Shockley police case uh, a few months ago didn 't necessarily help uh, as far as the credibility of that of that decision mm-hmm.
0: Okay, are we through with the great <laughs> story? There actually is more. <laughs> no, it, we're through not through with it. <laughs> there actually is more to discuss, but we'll save that for another time to move on to some other things. We talked about the Michael Cohen office raid in Washington. Is there anything, anything to add to that? And that uh, basically was dealing with the lawyer-client privilege. Uh, well, I mean, the, the great issue. jeopardy there is that Cohen will Flip on yeah. Trump.
1: Yeah. Well, and they've appointed a special master to actually review mm-hmm. the evidence that was collected. So in, the same, the basically, the same kind yeah. of
3: procedure as we have, you know, going uh, here in the Greitens case, where the special master is going to look at those uh, materials to figure out what can be
2: turned. And, and the whole attorney-client privilege, because Trump seems to flip back and forth whether this guy is his attorney or just this guy who takes care of some stuff, and he's not my attorney, and so. That complicates – Well, the other
0: morning uh, on Fox and Friends, he said you, some things that made it pretty clear it was his attorney. attorney. Yeah, Your which attorney. didn't
3: – I mean that was not that, – that, that, that was sort of an unforced error on Trump's yeah, part error, in yeah, my exactly, opinion. Exactly.
0: I'd also like to get into this Bobby Bostic case. Uh, he is the the uh, man who was uh, sentenced to, what, 241 years yeah. for an armed robbery when he was 16 years old. Supreme Court has turned down a request uh, – to uh, revise that sentence, even though the lawyer who sentenced him here in St. Louis uh, suggested, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. right? The, thank you for correcting me. The judge or the lawyer here in the the judge in St. Louis got it. Evelyn Baker, right? Yeah, right. Um, requested that the sentence uh, be reconsidered, uh, calling it a cruel and unusual, someone's calling it a cruel and unusual punishment case. What do you what do you make of this?
1: That's, that's, I, a, that's my reaction. My <laughs> reaction to it was that you know the, the young man did engage in a, a fairly violent criminal right. spree, mm-hmm. and at the time he didn't take a plea bargain. And that's the risk you run when you mm-hmm. run for a tr- when you go for a trial. Um, You know, one could question why the judge would have sentenced him in the way that they did, given his age. But having said that, when I look at this case, I think this one is ripe for the governor to exercise his pardon power. To look at this case to see, has this man turned his life around? Is is he now ready to go back into society? Uh And then he should exercise his clemency power, if so.
0: He he has other things on his mind at the moment. I'm sure that's... Yeah, I mean he, it is sort of a sad case. I mean, I
3: agree. I, I agree with Brenda that it was a, a terrible crime, but he was 16 years old, you know, and so that I think was one of the things that made it fe- feel like a possible injustice for him to be life in prison uh, for you know for the rest of his life. But I think that you know Brenda is right in saying that the governor can deal with this. Maybe the U.S. Supreme Court was saying thinking the very same thing, and it's not surprising that the U.S. Supreme Court didn't hear a case because they. They they don't hear all the cases mm-hmm. that seem like they're maybe unjust. They only hear about eighty cases a year, mm-hmm. uh, so it's not surprising that they rejected but, but
2: it. But the Supre- I, and I agree with you completely. But the Supreme Court over the last what ten, fifteen, twenty years has been kind of cutting back on the death penalty, mm-hmm. saying you couldn't use it with minors under I think seventeen. They went from sixteen to seventeen, and then um, people with uh, mental. Um, limited mental capabilities—they cut back for that, and then they went to well, you can't get around the death penalty by doing life in prison uh, for really young people. So they, and then you have—I think it's Breyer who, in one of his dissents, kind of came out saying we should say that the death penalty isn't allowed anymore. And you know, the conservatives are saying, how can you say that when it's specifically in the Constitution you have capital crime? So. Uh, this is, you know, this is um, judge-made law uh, that would be their argument. So, I mean, there's this tendency in that direction, but we're we're not there. And like Bill said, I mean, I think these kinds of uh, appeals uh, clog the court.
0: Well, Bill, you brought to our attention today the fact that the Missouri – or that the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court has uh, been asked to look into a death penalty case here.
3: Yes, this is the case uh, involving the death, the person who was supposed to have been uh, executed in March, uh, who has uh, tumors in his throat, and who argues oh, that right. it would be cruel and unusual punishment for there to be lethal injection because it could cause those tumors to uh, to rupture, and um, and and that would be a cruel end because so he would basically
2: drown on it, blood it, right yeah. yeah
3: right, the, the supreme Court uh, said this morning that they would hear that case uh where he says that, where the, the where the, um, the, the 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 person on death row says he shouldn't have to come up as as has been required in previous cases with an alternative means right. by which he can be uh executed in a way that's not cruel and unusual. So the Supreme Court has agreed to hear this case. So his execution has been put off.
0: There's some other things concerning the Supreme Court I'd like to get to, but we have to take another break. We'll do that now and continue our conversation momentarily. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back to our legal roundtable panel discussion with Bill Freyvogel, Brenda Talent, and Mark Smith. Uh, one of the things that we talked about during the break, Mark, Mister, I shop online. No, uh, I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Are we uh, are we going to be paying? Do you think on the basis of uh, the Supreme Court hearing the case about online? Taxes, shopping taxes. Uh, we're going to have to pay those taxes. And- well,
2: you know, I defer to Brenda because she's the tax lawyer and knows much more about this. But I think there is a good chance we will that the Supreme Court will reverse themselves. But I'm going to.
1: Well, it'll be an inter- It'll be interesting to see actually what the Supreme Court does. It, uh, for people who don't know, um, back in the '70s, we've got to go way back to an old case called National Bellas Hess. The Supreme Court decided that in order to require an out-of-state vendor to collect use tax from uh, an in-state purchaser, they needed to have something called nexus with the state. And they said to have nexus, you needed physical presence. Mm-hmm. See, I told you, I'm going to tell you more than you want to know. <laughs> and then um, <clears throat> along comes, because at that time, there wa- you know, people were going into states. It was complicated to collect sales tax. Then people started using um, more mail order. And there, another case came along called Quill. And in Quill, the Supreme Court again said, you know, if we're talking about sales and use tax, you need a physical presence mm-hmm. in the state to require you to collect it. Um, and by the way, Congress can act in this because it's a Commerce Clause issue. A number of bills were introduced into Congress to change the legislation to allow states to require out-of-state vendors – and one of the the ones we all know now is Mm Amazon-like, to collect use or sales tax. Um, But this old case exists. This new case, Wayfair, uh, was just argued, and what uh, South Dakota is is arguing is that the nature of our commerce has changed so much that when a a company has a certain amount of receipts from people residing in their state, they should collect the tax. Mm -hmm. Uh, It'll be interesting to me because the court would have to reverse their decisions where they clearly invited Congress and Congress has had bills and Congress has not passed those bills Mm -hmm. to to basically take the the action into their own hands to say you know what Uh, times have changed and you actually need to collect and remit this tax because that's taking really a legislative approach to this issue. And part of the
2: argument is that this this old decision is hurting local retailers so you know left bank books if I want to go there and buy books and it's a great experience and great but I have to pay a sales tax, and if I order from Amazon, which does nothing for the community like Left Bank mm-hmm. Books does, um, I don't have to pay a sales tax. And that's putting Left Bank Books at a real competitive disadvantage. And so um, – and it's – you know it may be part of what's drying up Main Street.
1: And the states are losing a lot of revenue. revenue. That's Billions thing, right? Billions. Billions the, of yeah. – but, but the other interesting fact in this is that the Amazons of the world, the large companies, they've begun to collect right. and remit tax. So they're actually mm-hmm. thinking, this isn't a bad thing because we're ready for this kind of decision, mm-hmm. whereas the smaller retailers who are on the internet, who are trying to uh, you know, grow their business, they'll be hurt.
2: Because Amazon may have some physical presence. Right. I,
3: I think people, when the Supreme Court agreed to hear this case, sort of thought that they were about ready to overturn the precedent, I guess Quill is the name of the the specific precedent. Uh, but after the oral argument, there, people weren't quite that, that sure. So
0: so the, it may not happen. So we don't get a, a true full sense of what the court is thinking on the basis of those arguments. No, no, you never said. can
3: tell exactly what's going, yeah. going to happen. So we'll see how that – we'll see in the next month uh, or or so how, the, how that will turn out.
2: Yeah, this was the, – they had the, – the last argument was – Just last... Yeah, that was when they did the... not the docket. The, the travel you know, ban. travel ban one, yeah, and then we should get all the decisions in June.
0: Yeah, and that's one we wanted to discuss briefly, mm-hmm. but the the whole point is that pe- people the- have a f- pretty good idea of how the court is leaning on the travel ban. Yes, I think it looks <clears> it looks <throat>
3: very much like uh, President Trump's third iteration of the travel ban is likely to be hel- upheld by the court. Uh, it seemed as though Justices Kennedy and, and Roberts, who are the middle to the extent that there's a middle on this court, uh, seem to be citing... Uh, with the with the travel ban, and, it, and, and it, did, it also seemed as though Justice Kagan asked questions that that, uh, and Justice Breyer that could uh, could allow them to end up joining uh, in. And, and the whole the whole point is that uh, the, the, the feeling that the president has a lot of power when it comes to national security, and that the sec- <clears throat> the courts are really not. Uh, I believe the question that Justice Kagan, uh, you know, the former Solicitor General for Obama, asked was, you know, went to the question of of are are the courts really in a good position to be determining whether there's a national security issue right. mm-hmm. or right. isn't the president who gets the daily intelligence briefings in a better position to do that? There's also this question about does Trump's statements in the in the campaign uh, about uh, uh, a Muslim ban should they be taken into account? Uh, in, and held held as being evidence of uh, you know of religious discrimination when when considering this uh, third iteration of the travel ban that doesn't you know have any kind of uh, doesn't have any kind of Muslim language in it, and I think that a lot of the justices thought that statements made during a campaign should not be held. Uh, as uh, as being uh, you know evidence in a in a case uh, an oral argument involving a subsequent action of the president. I mean, if, should should Trump uh, you know four years into his presidency still be held by things he said during about tra- uh, travel ban during the campaign? Maybe not. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and, uh, and even the lawyer for, that was attacking the ban w- conceded that, and if Trump disclaimed those statements. Then he was fine.
1: It would truly be opening up a can of worms to go down that road. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: In the meantime, a federal judge in D.C. has uh, ruled against uh, Trump's uh, position on DACA. The Dreamers, the kids who came in uh, to the country uh, illegally, um, ruled that unconstitutional. But that's not the end of that by any stretch of the imagination. No. So I I believe that he's –
3: I think this is the third uh, judge. I think it was a uh, Republican-appointed judge. Mm -hmm. The third judge uh, to rule – uh, 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 against uh, the administration uh, position on DACA, the the, one, the way in which this uh, judges. Uh, ruling was different, as he said, at least for the time being, the administration had to continue to accept new enrollees in DACA. The two previous uh, federal court decisions had imposed, I believe, nationwide injunctions saying uh, uh, saying that the program had to remain in effect, but did not say that new people, and and so that people who had enrolled uh, should have the ability to uh, renew their uh, their status, uh, but that it did a, it didn't require the Trump administration to take new enrollees. Uh, so, but a, as you say, this is—I uh, mean, these are all very preliminary. The Supreme Court hasn't heard the the, the merits uh, on on these issues, and so we'll see how that plays out. This is out. a ninety-day deal. Ninety-day deal. They said give, right we're, giving, we're giving given Trump administration ninety days to say why why they shouldn't be allowed to be new enrollees in the DACA program. Yeah.
0: And Justice uh, Gorsuch has raised some eyebrows, I see here. Uh, he sided with the traditionally liberal wing of the Supreme Court in a 5-4 ruling uh, that a law requiring the deportation of immigrants convicted of some violent crimes was unconstitutionally vague. That surprised people that he went that way. Well, it surprised people in that he joined the four more Democratic
3: appointed yeah. justices. But, you know, it really sh- I don't think it really should surprise people. It's, it's, this isn't really an issue of... Of uh, conservative versus liberal. I mean, Gorsuch was saying, "What does this language mean? If a person's going to going to suffer severe consequences, uh, they sh- we should be able to understand what the language means." And uh, the language is 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 too vague to understand it. And and in taking this position, he is only reiterating something that Justice Scalia, you know, the uh, uh, the late Justice Scalia had said before him, and hardly not too many people accused Justice Scalia of being uh, a liberal. So I don't think this, this isn't this isn't some big trend. Now mm. Gorsuch is going to join the uh, yeah. you know join the Democratic appointed justices. and It's going to be a five justice. Although if you if you
1: believe the dissent, it can it can be opening up other arguments for void for vagueness where it has not traditionally been applied. Mm. So we'll have to see what happens in other cases involving federal statutes. I,
0: And while we're still dealing with uh, immigration issues, very quickly here, the Sanctuary Cities back in the news, A federal judge in Chicago has ruled to uphold a national injunction on the government withholding grants to cities that do not cooperate with immigration uh, authorities. Right. So So this is the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals in Chicago. Again, it was –
3: I believe it was Republican-appointed judges who are on this three-judge panel. And it – you know, it it is – it, it, what, what, the argument is that the president shouldn't be, doesn't have the power. Uh, it, Congress has the power over over how funds are spent and what limitations there should be. Uh, the president doesn't have the power to impose that, and you know, nor uh, it's also a rather strong conservative argument that the federal government can't commandeer uh, local government law enforcement. To do the federal government's job. I mean, right, that was right. the that was the whole argument, in uh, you know, back in the time of the Brady Gun Bill, why local sheriffs shouldn't c- couldn't be forced, you know, to be involved in federal enforcement. So it's it's a rather it was it was Justice Scalia who who made this commandeering argument. So, um,
0: so does he, this end it, or is this going to advance? Do you think to the, the higher it, court?
1: They just they just denied the expedited ex- ex- expedited appeal, right? So I it'll think. just make its way through the court system.
0: We'll be hearing more about that, obviously. Something else here I wanted to get to concerning a Supreme Court, not the U.S. Supreme Court, but Missouri. Uh, A couple of uh, cases that the Missouri court has taken, the high court has taken, uh, on uh, transgender issues and uh, gay rights. And there seems to be some indication that once and for all the Missouri Supreme Court may be uh, determining when the Missouri Human Rights Act applies to transgender and uh, gay groups. See it that way, or yeah, maybe that's uh, these two yeah. cases
3: seem to involve that, and and I mean it, it's the whole question being does uh, does a law against sex discrimination does that apply to
2: uh, to gender and to gender and to mm-hmm. yes into sexual attraction sexual attraction uh, yeah right. yeah so um, and and some states have broadened it and. Missouri has not so far. Missouri has been pretty restrictive.
1: But you also have seen statutes that are very explicit in that they prohibit discrimination based upon um, sexual orientation, whereas in Missouri it's based on on sex. So, you, you, I think there is an argument, and obviously the state's making it that uh, the Supreme Court would be expanding. the the plain language of what is presented. So your your
2: Uh, argument would be because the city of St. Louis (laughs) has specifically included sexual orientation as a prohibited, that Missouri could have done that, and it didn't. Right, right,
3: and this is a mere argument of what uh, of a federal argument. the Obama administration yep. said sex discrimination includes uh, discrimination against transgendered persons, and uh, the Trump administration has taken the, uh, the opposite view. The Missouri cases involve a Kansas City uh, transgendered student who wants to use the the boys uh, locker room, and uh, also there 's a, a related case involving a public employee who felt as though he was discriminated against, uh, who, a gay, who was gay, and felt he was discriminated against because he didn't act in, a, uh, in, in as manly a way as his supervisor. Yeah.
2: Didn't uh, exhibit the stereotypical attributes of how a male should appear and behave was the language they used, right? Right.
0: We have a caller who wants to uh, backtrack a little bit on the uh, Bobby Bostick case, that 241-year sentence uh, for him. Uh, let's bring in Ron calling from Ferguson. Very quickly, though, Ron, please.
2: Uh, yeah, I just don't like um, sentencing where it's kind of
0: capricious and uh, the judge just kind of decides one one day one way and another day another way. I think all crimes should have, outside of murder, should have a maximum and a minimum sen- sentence. But some type of statistical report should be done on all judges to show that how they sentence people based on race, income, profession, male, female, and number of prior convictions, and that should be made to the general public so we can see there's any bias in sentencing. And I believe all jurors, prosecutors should have to complete a lie detector test before the start of any trial, because most people do not trust anybody with that type of power uh, with the fate of their lives in their hands. Ron, thanks for the call. Any comment? Well, the polygraph would be difficult. Um,
2: I mean, there's a federal law, the Polygraph Protection Act, that basically prohibits your employer from even talking Mm -hmm. about polygraphs to you. And I think part of that is because they're viewed as not reliable. Mm -hmm. As far as the statistics, that would be interesting. It would be very hard to put together, I think. Um, You know, most cases don't make it to trial. They plead out and, and you could look at the pleadings. They're also, I mean, pretty restrictive federal sentencing guidelines. I think with this Uh, This case, he,
0: there were all these different. There were multiple crimes. Yeah, multiple crimes. So you started adding them up. consecutive
1: sentences for them, yeah.
0: Okay, Ron, thanks for the call. We have another caller. Jay is calling from Normandy. Let's bring him in as time allows. Jay, you're on the air.
1: Yeah, I'll try to make it
3: fairly quick. Um, You were just talking about the relationship of uh, federal
0: to state. Uh, I'm always concerned about what the state does to local municipalities and counties (laughs) And like one example, a quick one, is the ban, the, the plastic bag ban. You know, the, the city of Columbia, for example, wanted to have a ban on plastic bags. They're terrible for the environment. There's many other environmental issues that this state seems to override what locals want to do uh, about hog farms and the proximity to, to cities and such like that. Why does the state preempt the cities or how do they get away with it where the feds
2: don't?
3: Well, I, I, you know, I don't want to be uh, what I said before to get, to mislead you. I mean, oftentimes federal, oftentimes federal law does preempt yeah. uh, a, a particular area of the law, and it's you're, But you're right in saying that oftentimes in areas like environmental regulations or hog farms or uh, our gun regulation, that state law. Uh, uh, Trump's uh, local law, and that makes the local uh, people angry. But that is the way the Mi- way the Missouri Constitution works. Right.
2: Feds often will say that's why we have drinking ages and um, speed limits, because they'll say if you want our federal funds, you got to do this.
1: And some of our cities are the creature creatures of statute. Right. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So. Very
0: quickly here, um, is flipping off the president of the United States uh, a, a First Amendment issue? Is that freedom of expression? The woman who did that has been fired and uh, is suing. I mean, she was fired, she was fired by a private employer. She, she, uh, you know,
3: one of the ways she got herself in more trouble was making it her profile picture, I believe. Uh, and, you know, you're only protected. Your free speech is only protected uh, from government. Uh, interference, not from a private employer interfering with you. Yeah,
1: you've got to look at state law to see if she has a cause of action against her employer. And in this instance, it's, you know, it, it's it's too bad that um, we see more and more people are getting fired for their political beliefs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, one would hope that employers would be a little more sensitive in the sense that, you know, it's one thing if she were at, at the counter with a customer and flip them off. They, you can sort of yeah. understand then why the employer would say, "You're you're out of here. This was on her uh, uh, off-duty time right. doing her own thing.
3: I, I mean, I'm sympathetic to her. I don't think she should have gotten fired. And it, and it may be that that it was because it was a, a government contractor that they fired her because they, yeah, were, they, were, they worried were worried about what the right, federal Right, but they're
1: government. not contracting with the president, and there's a bunch of statutes right. that dictate that. So, again, but under Virginia law, she may have a cause of action.
0: Well, that is at the heart of the matter, the government contracts things. That's why the employers apparently were really concerned, that they would lose some business in right. this case. Now, if,
2: if she worked for the government... And they fired her. Then we've got a First Amendment issue. But like you said, private employer or not. We
0: have to leave it there. Time has gone by so quickly. I want to thank you all for being with us, Brenda Talent, Again, thank you for joining us once again. Let's do it again sooner. Thank than you for having me. Case. Mark Smith, great to thank see you. you. And Bill Freiburgle, as always, same with you. Our time is up. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Marsh.